Welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, the show designed to help make middle age your prime time of life by defying the notion that once you reach 40, 50, or even 60 years old, your crowning achievements are all behind you. Regardless of whether you're just approaching 40 or are firmly entrenched in your middle years, it's time to launch your very own personal journey toward a joyful and purpose-filled second half of life. Each week, host Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, will discuss the challenges common to middle age and help guide you to a brighter tomorrow. Now, here's Roy. Well, hello and welcome to this week's edition of Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. And I think we all agree that stress is highly abundant in our lives today, both in the U.S. and around the world. Because of the coronavirus, our normal way of living is disrupted. We're either presently laid off or fear we soon may be. Our kids and teenagers are out of school, and most of their normal sports and activities are canceled. Our 401k investment portfolios, which looked so strong just over a month ago, have shed a third of their value and appear headed down further. And then, of course, there's the fear of the coronavirus itself. Will you yourself or a loved one contacted, and does it threaten serious illness, even death? And finally, and this is perhaps our greatest fear, how long will this pandemic go on, and how bad will it get? And as bad as it is, COVID-19 isn't the only thing that stresses us out. A survey from the distant past, just last year before coronavirus surfaced, a survey revealed that two out of every three Americans said they were extremely or somewhat anxious. And today's guest, Stephen Hall, M.D., an integral medicine practitioner, is here to tell us why and what society and our medical community is doing to mitigate the adverse health effects uh, and uh, why that isn't working. And more importantly, he will offer tools for getting off the vicious stress cycle not just through coronavirus pandemic, but over the rest of our lives. And before I introduce him here in Dr. Hunt's qualifications, Stephen Hall, M.D., has been practicing family medicine in greater Seattle, Washington. Since 1985, he practices a dynamic form of medicine that combines traditional and alternative modalities, encouraging patients to find wholeness in their lives on all levels, physical, emotional, social, and spiritual. And Dr. Hall is author of the 2018 book, The Seven Tools of Healing, Unlock Your Inner Wisdom, and Live the Life Your Soul Desires. And he also conducts online classes, including a 12-week course, Taking the Bear, Taking the Bite Out of Stress. And hello, Dr. Hall. We're indeed honored to have you with us here today. Well, thank you so much for inviting me, Roy. I'm happy to be here. Let's start at the beginning. What are some of the ways that stress can make us sick? Can you give us a few of the negative impacts chronic stress can have on our uh, bodies and our minds? Yeah, so the best way to think about it is like an economy. So your body only has so much energy to use each day. And and so stress would be like a wartime economy. And when we're... When we're at war, where do we spend our money? You know, we, we spend it on bullets and bombs and, and yeah. that kind of thing. And and then we're at peace, where do we spend our money? We spend it on roads and schools and hospitals and, you know, yeah. infrastructure stuff. Yeah. So 
if you're at war too long, then your bridges start falling down, your water mains start breaking, you know, schools start crumbling. <laughs> so your body's the same way. So if you stay in the stress response too long, then you're not digesting your food properly, you're not building your bones, you're not fighting infections, and and more importantly, fighting tumors that are emerging in your body. Um, so a lot of things get put on hold because your body didn't think that stuff was important if you were in the middle of running from a tiger. Um, but, but you know, that's only supposed to last a short time. And, and so we have this stress response for short-term, like, physical threats. Yeah, that's a good idea to be stressed to see a bear, coming, a grizzly bear coming down the path toward you. Yeah, then you need it for that. But right? you don't need it when you're safely ensconced in the lodge and the bear is nowhere to be seen. But the stress remains, then you've got a, a problem because it's, like you say, the right. eating way, your health, doing other things. And our bodies actually can't tell because because you need that stress response in a, in an instant, right? Like split yeah. second. And so your body's kind of set on worst case scenario first and then ask questions later. So it can't tell the difference between the perceived threat and an actual threat. And so the perceived threat of a deadline at work, the perceived threat of being laid off and, and you know, not being able to pay your rent, yeah. uh, those those kinds of things your body reacts the same way as if a car just swerved into your lane and um, coming at you. So uh, so that's that's why stress can make you sick. And it affects just about every system in your body. And, and so that's why it can be associated with so many different diseases. And, um, but I want to be, I want to set some definitions first. So there's stressors which, or like any experience you have that puts a load or strain on your body. Yeah. And and stress stresses are inevitable, right? I mean Yeah, we're gonna have those from time to time. Yeah, exactly. But stress is what happens when your ability to carry all your stressors gets exceeded and and that's when things start to break down in your system. So you inform us that our society what our society is doing to mitigate uh mitigate the adverse health effects of stress aren't working. What's wrong with the current approach that needs to be changed? Well, most of the things that we do to manage our stress are after the fact. So, for example, if if you go and relax after a, a stressful day, I mean, that's better than nothing, but that doesn't protect you from the 10 hours of stress you just had. And that's often easier said than done as well. Yeah. Still and so, so we need to do something to stay out of that stress response in the first place. Because once your body, once you perceive a threat, your body responds within milliseconds. Yeah. So it's way too fast to stop and do your breathing exercises or whatever, you know. So we need to do the work ahead of time so that, most of the things we have to face day to day don't trigger that fight or flight response because they don't really need, I mean, if you started running, because the fight or flight response gets you ready to run or fight, right? Yeah. And and if you run or fought at work, that probably wouldn't be a good idea. You'll probably right? get fired. <laughs> yeah. 
and and so it's it's not adapted for for our lives and so we need to be able to head it off at the pass and so that's what i advocate is doing the work ahead of time and and so what that means is uh, you know a stressor especially the stressors outside your skin now, i'm not talking about living with chronic pain or you know those those are stressors inside your skin and there's we use functional medicine to deal with those. Yeah. But the stressors outside your skin, like COVID or a traffic jam or um, relationship problem or your manager at work, you know, those those are only stressors because of the way that you look at them. Yeah. And so it turns out you can choose how you look at things if you do the right practice. And so that's what the seven tools are, basically, is a way to do that right practice to change your perceptions so that what seems like a, a real pain in the rear end now looks like an interesting opportunity to learn something new. Well, that's a For real example. conversion that you're able to, instead of considering it as a, something you have to deal with in a crisis situation, look at uh, as a chance for learning or, or doing something new and improving your overall mm-hmm. life, that, that would be a tremendous change. But you've got to change those beliefs ahead of time so that the feeling, because your feelings are just the result of whatever comes into your mind through your senses and your thoughts passing through your belief structure, what we call your worldview. And then the feeling is what comes out of that. So if you want to change the feeling, You've either got to change the sensory input, which, you know, you didn't choose the COVID virus. You didn't choose, um, you know, the stress at work or whatever. But but what you do have a say over with the right practice is what you believe. Why why is it that this uh, coronavirus is creating so much stress, not just in the U.S. and worldwide? I remember in 2009 we had the swine flu and the... Uh, H-N-1-N-1 or H-1-N-1, whatever they called it. Uh, but I don't recall things being canceled, obviously. Sports wasn't stopped, and uh, we didn't seem to well, have it, the... Well, it uh, didn't spread it, like this has been spreading. Yeah, it, it is, uh, but it is somewhat like flu, and uh, most people recover fairly uh, quickly from it. What? But I guess uh, because of it is a threat to... Uh, a lot more people in the than the swine flu was. Yeah, and it's um, it tends to cause a viral pneumonia. Yeah, and um, and especially in people with diabetes, you know, type two diabetes, and and that's almost a third of our country now has type two diabetes, and <laughs> and people with high blood pressure, uh, people who are older, and and so what they're concerned about is having more people get sick than we have the ability to take care of. Yeah. And like in Italy, they're having to choose who to treat and who to send home to die. Yeah, they don't that, have that's enough. really scary. Yeah, and so, so the goal is to just slow the spread down enough that we can handle the sick people. And it's going to, you know, the more people who get the virus and get better the less the virus is going to be able to spread. Yeah, that's a good point. So eventually we're going to get on the other side of this, but it's going to take a lot of people getting the virus and getting better. But we want to slow it down enough that we can still, we have the intensive care facilities to take care of the people who need them. 
because it'd be a horrible if we had to send people who say, well, you know, we can't put anybody over 70 on a ventilator. Yeah. Um, they just have to go home and die. You know, we still have enough ventilators. So we're going to use it yeah. for the 40-year-olds and not the 70-year-olds, you know. Yeah, no, I can They're, see that. But uh, uh, despite all the wonderful in- innovations in conventional medicine, what is the major flaw in the way medical students are trained and how they treat their patients? I was fascinated by that in your book when you point that out. Well, um, it's been a long time since I've been in medical school, so I don't know what they're doing nowadays. Uh, well, when you were there, then. <laughs> well, but I've seen a big change. Like, so my specialty is family practice, and when I was taught, we were taught, you, you should be able to deal with 90% of the issues that come in the door. And nowadays, it seems like family practitioners are just triage. They, You come in and they say, well, go to this specialist for that and go to that specialist for that. <laughs> and they don't actually take care of anything much themselves anymore. And and I think that's a huge loss. And that's why, you know, six-month waiting list to get into any of the specialists because, the, you know, a lot of people that could be taken care of by primary care are getting sent there. And I think a lot of that is because of the malpractice threat. Oh, yeah. you know, and, and and that's a whole other issue. But, um, but I, I like how you a, point out that uh, just strictly conventional medicine uh, treats the uh, symptoms but not really the underlying causes. And that's what your uh, practice, what you're getting at in your book and in your practice, is to uh, that, broaden that, to really look inside and see what's causing the problem. Yeah, and especially, so a chronic disease, and over 50% of Americans now have a chronic disease, oh, wow. and and half of those have more than one chronic disease at a time. So so chronic, that chronic disease is actually the real pandemic you know, that we've been living with. And conventional medicine doesn't have a good answer. I mean, this has all hap- been happening on conventional medicine's watch. Yeah. And so a chronic disease, by definition, resists our attempts to treat it. Yeah. And otherwise, you'd, you'd treat it and go away, right? Yeah. So, so chronic disease is asking us to dig deeper and cast a wider net, yeah. because healing is still possible. Okay, that's that's a belief I really hold strongly that healing is always possible for a person. Yeah, that's a great place, place to start internally if if you're ill to believe that healing is really possible. I like somewhere in, the, in your book it says that if um, you really are convinced that uh, you love your body and you convince your body that you love it <laughs> and you love your life, that the, the body will cooperate with you to uh, make things better. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, cause all of you like to be treated the way you like to be treated. Yeah. And so do you like to be ordered around? <laughs> no. You probably don't, right? No, probably So your body... Your body doesn't like to be ordered around either. Do, do you like to be like ignored and not listened to? <laughs> you don't, right? No, I don't. <laughs> I and am. <laughs> yeah, we often are, <laughs> but we don't like it. And our body doesn't like it either. So, so basically, the challenge is: well, how can I treat my body the way I would like to be treated? Yeah. That seems that, like that, a logical thing to do, doesn't it? <laughs> it's so it does. <laughs> it's not rocket science, right? Yeah. 
but we don't do it. You know, we order our bodies around, especially in athletics. You know, you get trained to just tell your body what to do and, and expect it, and you get mad at it when it breaks down. And, um, you know, so one of the first things I do with my patients when they come in is try to get them to stop the war they're having with themselves. <laughs> and because um, healing's not about war. And because nobody actually wins a war. There's always casualties on both sides. And you don't want that with your body or with your mind or with your mental health. Or... So, so you're all on the same team, all, all the different parts of you. And the answer to stress, the bottom line is, we all have inside of us this place of deep inner peace. And so the answer to stress is learning how to connect with that part of ourselves when we need to. Oh, I see. Well, let's talk about the seven tools of healing, the title of your book. Uh, we don't need to go into great detail, but can you just run through? These are simple, time-honored uh, methods to uh, deal with uh, things. Uh, let's go run through the seven uh, healing tools that we have okay. to use. Yeah, so these are, uh, you're right, there's nothing new in the tools. What's new is how they work together as a unit. And... Um, so, so the first tool is like a foundation that everything's based upon, and that's faith. And the way I use faith and the way that people's inner wisdom uses faith is it's actually how strongly you believe what you believe. Yeah. And that can get stronger with practice. So it's not a particular set of beliefs like we think of in our society, but it's it's actually how strongly you believe what you believe. And then the second tool is awareness. So that we we actually have information to work with. So we want to become aware of what's really going on that, in our life. That's so uh, aware of what's really uh, allowing us to see what is in the current moment and not uh, try to hide from what's going on. I think awareness exactly. is very big. Yeah, because so, what you're becoming aware of is your own truth in this moment. Yeah, that's all that, exists. that goes together with the next one, acceptance. You, you, there's no use denying what's going on and pretending to and dilute yourself into what's really going on. You have to accept and be aware of what's going on before you're going to change it, right? Yeah, and all I think about is that acceptance is just like putting your starting coordinates into your GPS. Yeah. You know, because if you put in your goals, which is, you know, your end result, um, but you put in the starting coordinates of some place you wished you were instead of where you actually are. Yeah. The directions might not get, get you. you. <laughs> right. No, we so, won't get you there. <laughs> and then the fourth tool is actually what works the change. Because what happens when you try to force an aspect of yourself to change? Like yeah. if you want to try to not be angry, if you want to try to not... Yeah. Not be unhappy. Not, <laughs> Yeah, or not eat, or not be depressed. So, so trying to make yourself change doesn't actually work. So, but change is possible. What causes the change is the fourth tool, which is compassion. Yeah, and it's that's and on it's, yourself as well as on other people. <laughs> exactly, because compassion is supposed to be for all of reality, and you're part of reality too. So, I have this image of like. Imagine you got everybody to stand up for this like big panoramic photograph, yeah. and 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 where you are, there's a little hole cut out. <laughs> no. <laughs> so so 
So you want to have compassion for the whole panoramic picture, which includes you. Yeah. So, so that's a really important piece. And I've had perfectly highly educated, intelligent people that have never thought of having compassion for themselves. It just, thought it just never entered their head. And then and, there's um, also the, the next step, forgiveness. There's so many people that uh, are bitter over something that happened years ago, and they, they you don't have to forget about it, but sitting there and uh, fretting over uh, what somebody did or blaming someone accomplishes absolutely nothing, really, in terms of... Uh, right, exactly. And, um, and uh, yeah, forgiveness is not condoning what somebody did. It's no. not forgetting what they did. It's actually for you. It's like stopping and taking boulders out of your backpack, you know. <laughs> so you don't have to keep carrying this stuff with you everywhere you go. And um, so, so forgiveness is a true letting go. It's it, it's finishing unfinished business. Yeah. And 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 you can't force forgiveness. And and what we've witnessed with this approach is that the forgiveness just naturally happens when enough compassion's been brought to that particular experience. Yeah, that's that's a good point. What about gratitude, the the sixth step? Yeah, so what happens, you know, there's that idea that every experience has a gift hidden in it for us. And even the really bad ones, there's usually a gift in it for us. And yeah. and when when people really receive that gift, then they tend to feel this sense of gratitude. It's like, oh wow, that's the way this world works is really amazing, you know. And it's like standing in awe of how the universe works. Yeah. That's when people come in and say, you know, I, I wouldn't want to go through that again, but I'm glad I did because of all I learned from it or whatever. Then I know they've gotten their healing. So, yeah. so I use gratitude like a yardstick to, to tell when somebody's gotten their healing. Now, what's the, the seventh uh, tool of right action? I'm not sure just what that means what do you mean by right action well it's like what action brings would bring forth the highest good oh i see that's right all of us should be doing all the time (laughs) we we try yeah people the most good but there's an interesting issue there's an interesting problem it's like how do you know that your actions are going to bring you the results that you want yeah, I mean, if you if you don't like when you invest in the stock market, you don't know what's going to happen. When you, you know, when you go talk to somebody, you don't know how they're going to take what you say. Well, I and, guarantee you one thing: if you don't try anything, <laughs> the result will not be that positive. <laughs> exactly, but there's an old saying that right action is based on right understanding, and my hypothesis is that if you practice the first six tools faithfully. You'll arrive at right understanding, and then you'll just know what to say to that child in that moment. You'll just know when it's time to go ask for a promotion. You'll just know what to eat, you know, what your body yeah. needs right then. So so right action is based on right understanding, and it, and it often just follows that, you know, when you connect with your own deep knowing and, and live from there. Yeah. That's the best way to do it. Here's one final question. How do you suggest our listeners can apply your seven tools to reduce stress, function optimally, and get through this traumatic coronavirus epidemic, or pandemic, I should say? How do you advise your patients to cope? (laughs) 
Well, the first thing is to learn the seven tools and to practice them until they just become default settings, until they're, yeah. they're automatic. And, yeah. and so I have a website. It's called www.theseventools.com, and it's at the number seven. And, and it explains the tools there. There's a lot of free content. Um, obviously, I encourage you to read the book and practice the exercises in the book. And, um, but just keep practicing, practicing this way of being with yourself. That's all the seven tools are, just yeah. a way of being with yourself so that your natural healing just rises to the surface. I also and, found on your website a fascinating class that you offer called Taming the Bear, Taking the Bite Out of Stress. I know the last class began on January 23rd, 2020. How can, uh, when's your next class going to start? I guess it's too late for that one, but uh, well, we're work. Yeah, we're almost done with that one, but yeah. we're actually working to um, put the class totally online so people can just start it when they want to. Oh, that's and not great. have not have to start as a cohort and take it all together as a group. Yeah. Um, so we're working to do that, and but to still have the advantage of of a phone call and a, and a live forum to get questions answered and that sort of thing. Yeah. And that will also bring the price of the class way down, too, when we do that. So. Oh, that's great. So how uh, they should just go to your website to keep up on the, when you're going to offer that online then. Yes, because if they um, uh, sign up for some of the free offers that we have, uh, then then they'll get emails when we have new classes. Like we're working on a class right now, to, how to teach your children to be healthy with their feelings. Oh, that's, that's a very valuable class. <laughs> yeah, because that that'll then give you all the information you need as you go through your life. If you can be healthy with your feelings, um, then then you can find out who you really are in your heart of hearts. So that's that's the goal. So go to his website, the Seven Tools dot com, or you also have another website, Stephen M All M D dot com, that uh, has a lot of the same information on there. You can also go to. Right, and one of the things I've done in response to this COVID um, is I've started doing telemedicine. Oh, great. Uh, which means that I could consult with people anywhere in the country. So I can, uh, you know, if you have a question, if you, like especially a wellness question, or if you're like, how medicine I'm having, or that problem I'm having, um, we can do a consultation over the, like over Zoom or over the phone. Yeah, uh, that'd be even better than going to Dr. Google. <laughs> yeah. I don't know quite as much as Dr. Google, but it has been vetted a little better probably. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, to conclude, not just through the coronavirus, but throughout the rest of our lifetimes, you and I have a choice. We can spend the rest of our lives battling stress and perhaps the bad health that it brings along with it, or we can uh, affect lasting, exactly. authentic change. And I'm certain, like me, you'll answer yes, but two obvious questions arise. How do I make the necessary changes, and how uh, do I make them last? And to answer those questions, I highly recommend you tune in to Dr. Stephen Hall's website and preview and purchase his book, The Seven Tools of Healing, Unlock Your Inner Wisdom and Live the Life Your Soul Desires. 
Heck, what better than doing that? And uh, Dr. Hall's advice will help you not only to improve the conditions you currently face, but the ones leading to stress and illness, but it will also guide you to taking steps to change what brought problems or issues into your life in the first place. And though it probably doesn't feel like it, this current coronavirus slowdown may be the ideal time to look inside and integrate all aspects of your life, physical, emotional, social, and spiritual, to become the healthy, purposeful, and vibrant person you were created to be. And thanks to me and Dr. Hall for your inspiration and best of success going forward. Well, thank you. You said that so well. I really appreciate that. Well, those were most interesting suggestions from Dr. Stephen Hall. Yes, you and I can take a bite out of stress, even in difficult times like these, the worldwide coronavirus pandemic. And before I go, I'd like to touch on a subject affecting so many of us these days, those of us uh, with office jobs, fortunate enough to be still be receiving a paycheck, but working from home. And the issue, how to remain productive, but also physically and mentally healthy when you move from an office to a spare room at home, or maybe even your dining room table. The March 30, 2020 edition of the Wall Street Journal included an excellent article by Alexandra Samuel, who reports she has worked from home for 22 years. And heck, I can relate because I've worked from home since 1989, and that's over 30 years. And I'm going to summarize the high points of her article now, at least half of it, along with a few thoughts of my own. And here are some of her excellent suggestions. One, let go of the eight-hour day. <laughs> Makes a lot of sense, doesn't You no longer are on a formal time clock, and your boss is not aware of when you show up and when you leave work, so don't attempt to force yourself to work on one. Furthermore, think about it. How much of your so-called work day at the office is made up of meetings in which you're mostly listening, water cooler chat, collegial conversations, and random interruptions? On a good day, heck, you may get perhaps four or five hours of decent work time. And since hopefully your work at home is uninterrupted, more on that later, you can probably get more done in five hours at home than in eight hours at the office. Conversely, if you try to work six or seven hours in a stretch, you'll probably get drowsy, burned out, or both. <laughs> so don't uh, get hung up uh if you started late and uh, didn't force yourself to work uh, until 5 p.m., your workday ends when you've completed the work you needed to get done. <laughs> no sooner or no later. If you reach your limit or get restless, take a break and go out for a walk. Nobody's keeping track of you. And second, here's uh, choose three things a day. And uh, no longer on a strict time clock, you'll need some other structure to let you know that you've accomplished the day's work. And here's the author's suggestion. I'd like to pick the, my top three priorities and to share these commitments with a colleague or colleagues early in the day via chat or email. And it's very important that you share these because uh, you have to be responsible to someone. Heck, you don't even have, they don't have to be colleagues from work, perhaps maybe even your spouse 
close friends uh, or close friends who agree to help you focus on getting work done. And this will give you a sense of accountability. And at the end of each day, share your accomplishments and shortcomings with these colleagues or friends via email. And for targeted projects not completed, be certain at the end of the day that you can explain why they weren't uh, completed along with a revised completion target. And here's a third suggestion. Choose a new time management system. Since you no longer are on your office's eight-hour time clock, you will need a different method for managing your time. Your three things to accomplish can be part of the system, but you may need other structures as a possibility. How about planning out in advance which part of each day and week you're going to dedicate to certain types of tasks and activities? As an example, uh, schedule all marketing calls each morning from 9.30 to 11. Uh, say prepare weekly action plans on a Monday afternoon from 1.30 to 3 p.m. And along with targets, you will need to track your actual activity to see how well you stayed on target and how your activity schedule may need to be adjusted. And here's number four, respect and work with your natural energy cycles. Boy, that's an important one for me, I found. When you're at home, you have more flexibility to work with these natural cycles, uh, so don't, uh, but don't, uh, so long as you don't let them rattle you. <laughs> I always tend to fall asleep right after lunch. If you're a morning person, uh, work on your three to accomplish priorities early in the day, and don't feel guilty about resting, even taking a nap or going on a walk shortly after lunch. That's always a drowsy, non-productive time of day for me. And uh, the PM siesta, so common in Latin American countries, is not such a bad idea in my opinion. Never freak out if you hit a solo work slump, uh, a period when you can't seem to focus or can't get things done, especially the natural letdown when you've completed a major project and uh, are trying to start a new one. You can use these natural ebbs to take care of personal tasks like, uh, uh, you know, even cooking. I don't do that very well. Or making catch-up social calls or say, how about recognize, uh, reorganizing your files, something that doesn't take a lot of uh, uh, effort and uh, creative thinking. You may find that mindless, low-priority projects not requiring deep thinking or initiative will be just the rest that you need to get back in the groove for your next hot project. And here's number five, be a regular. And because of uh, required social isolation that the governments have forced on us, and we force on ourselves, obviously, we no longer can be a regular at Starbucks or our favorite dining out restaurant, but we can still be a regular in a few different online contexts. Facebook groups, Twitter lists, online discussion groups, either related to your profession or to your favorite hobby or avocation. We all need social interaction, even if it's only online. So now may be an ideal time to just hang out a little. You may wish to commit to just-for-fun channels of communication at least once or twice a day. And believe it or not, seeing it online, seeing the same people in the same context, perhaps totally unrelated to your work, 
can provide a vital sense of continuity and community. Discover what's happening, good or bad, in other folks' lives. Offer suggestions where you can, and ask for advice to solve your own challenges. It, uh, believe me, it uh, picks up your spirit so much if you can offer something that, that, that you know is helpful to another. That's a great way to feel good about yourself. And uh, yes, hanging out online can be distracting, but connecting with and hearing from clients, colleagues, and just folks with similar interests to yours uh, should help, help you feel like you're part of a larger workplace, profession at large, or your community uh, commu- or sub-community with a similar interest. Folks, maybe that like model trains, if that's your thing. <laughs> well, I've given you five suggestions for effectively working from home. We don't have time now, but I'll be back next week with five more, including the particularly tricky issue of uh, getting work done at home while at the same time your kids are home from school and need supervision and you need isolation. Please uh, don't neglect to check out my website, middleagerenewal.com, and my two books, A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, and Wake Up, Captain and Crew, Restart Your Engines. They're relevant now, as always, even in this time of coronavirus. And bye for now. We'll speak to you again next week on Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. You've been listening to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, hosted by Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of both A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, and Wake Up, Captain and Crew, Restart Your Engines. You can learn more about Roy and his Middle Age Renewal Training System by visiting his website, middleagerenewal.com. 